On this week's episode of Talks with the Teacher, I'm joined by mixed martial artist Aaron Avey. Despite his parents being told that he had cystic fibrosis at just two weeks old, Aaron has always excelled at sports and has used his condition as his motivation. He's defied doctors on numerous occasions, also beating cancer after being diagnosed at the age of just 27. Now fighting fit once more, he has his heart set on either the Cage Warriors flyweight belt or the UFC. Aaron's determination is clear to see and his mindset is phenomenal, meaning that whatever is next for him, I'm confident that he will continue to excel. Listen now to Aaron's extraordinary life story as he tells us why he is continually fighting to breathe. Aaron, thank you for joining me. No problem. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. Obviously, a lot of your life, really, your sort of successes and your battles with illness have sort of been fairly well documented. But I thought this would be a good opportunity to sort of try and put things in a uh, in some sort of order and get your yeah. thoughts on sort of different aspects of your life. So if we're going to have a look at sort of an overview of your life, we'll start right at the beginning. What are your sort of earliest memories from when you were little? Earliest memories, really, I would probably say start in in primary school and maybe a bit bit before nursery and stuff. I've got a few few memories going back, but as for more detailed memories, I would probably say primary school. Thinking back, so how was primary school for you then? Uh, good, you know, like I I pretty much enjoyed all school. Uh, I remember like growing up and your parents saying, "Oh, school will be the best days of your life," and you're like, "Man, no chance!" And then when you leave, you you remember that it actually was really good. Like I had a good group of friends growing up, uh, primary school, secondary school. Uh, just just remember enjoying it and like old school days of like constantly being out and about, playing sports, playing games uh, with everyone and, and just having that uh, community growing up and uh, pretty fortunate to have so many good people around me who are still around me now, really. Definitely. I was going to say, obviously, we'll get on to your sort of uh, your most recent fight later on. But uh, it was good watching it on the TV and just seeing so many people I recognised who obviously you've grown up with and have known for like your entire life. Yeah, that's it. I think uh, it's quite a, quite a special bond that like we've picked up people along the way, met people as I've got older as well who are, who are close friends. But I've still got that same group, some going back to nursery days, which is a... Uh, quite mad and like seeing us all grow up and that sometimes makes me sad but also uh, happy to have uh, spent my lives with them. Yeah definitely. Jumping back to primary school were there any teachers that particularly stand out to you? So obviously like, I always ask this because I teach primary and I just always wonder if there's anyone who you can sort of recall. I think I always would say I would have more closer bonds to teachers who were involved in sport in some way which you could have like relate to about talking about stuff like I always had like close connections more than like found I enjoyed more the teachers who, who maybe took the PE classes as well or don't get me wrong I still had some close connect- connections with with uh, female teachers as well I would say the the ones I always think stood out for me were the ones who didn't just teach you what was happening in the lesson and would give you like some uh, life as- aspects throughout growing up because I think it was just more relatable to me than, than always like the maths equation or or stuff, people that, that you could have those uh, talks with and 
things that I could like relate to if they were talking about life and things that were happening. And uh, they were the probably the teachers that would stand out most to me, along with the the teachers who were involved in sport. Of course, yeah, awesome. Obviously, it's been very well documented that you have cystic fibrosis. At, at what point did you find that out in your childhood? I was diagnosed after two weeks. Mm-hmm. But to be fair, growing up, I thought everyone like had to have the same meds and treatment as me. Uh, like I had to have tablets before before I ate food, and I remember like looking around thinking, "Why aren't you having tablets, mate? We're about to eat some food." Uh, growing up, because I think my parents always wanted me to think that I was normal and and no different. It, it was just like the older I got, the more understanding of cystic fibrosis and what I was going through that I started to understand, but. Like I always like remembered, like my mum was a bit uh, more worried about me staying over at my friend's house and stuff. And I remember she always had to use to like speak to their parents and you started clicking on a little bit, a little bit with that. But like as I was growing up as a kid, I just thought I was normal, really. Uh, I remember actually I found out in school that my life expectancy was 16 because a, a teacher read it out in a biology class. And I remember like everyone looked at me like, oh, he's got cystic fibrosis. Uh, so that was like a, a big thing. I remember going home to my parents and being like, why am I going to school if I'm going to die when I'm 16? Like, you're wasting me time. I should be out there doing stuff. I was quite fortunate growing up that they tried to keep keep my life as normal as possible. And I just like through self-discovery started finding out more things. Yeah. It was obviously it's very good that your parents sort of wanted that for you and didn't want you to feel different to everybody else. One thing that I looked at, because I remember I, I'd known you for obviously a couple of years before I knew you had, well, a few years probably towards the end of high school, really, that I found out that you had cystic fibrosis and I wasn't sort of massively familiar with it or, you know, what it meant. I think I remember reading like, you know, people with cystic fibrosis obviously affect your um, lung capacity and often people would be telling you not to do sports. And I was like, Aaron does every sport and is not only does every sport, but you were phenomenal at every sport like you were always a very good footballer very good runner did you go out of your way to make sure that you were very good at those things or would you say you were naturally gifted no uh, I like used it to prove I was normal by like excelling in them mm-hmm. I remember like when I was playing football like even as a kid in Darlin back in school I'd be out running on the field playing it wasn't like Something I like, and I, I had an athletic dad, but I was always made sure I was the hardest working as well. Uh, even through running, I think like conditioning and like I wouldn't win the hundred meters because it's a bit more talent. But if you put me in the longer distance races, the fifteen hundred, the three thousand, the ten thousand meters across country, and I knew it was, you had the the more work you put in, the better results you got. That I was going to always like push myself and do well because. That's what I mean when people were telling you, oh, your lungs wouldn't be able to cope with stuff. Uh, you won't be able to do exercise. I was like, right, I'm going to do that. And then if I was doing well, I was like, oh, I'm beating this condition that I've got here. Yeah. Uh, that was like kind of like a mo- motivation for me. I remember when I started secondary school and we got put into groups. Like I got put in the disabled group. Wow. And I'm like going home and like telling my mum and dad and they run the school and said like, listen, treating normally and, and put them in the group from that. And then the next PE session was the 12-minute Cooper's room. And I beat everyone by miles. And I, I remember, like, they put me in the top group. And 
even that was me proving the teachers wrong for putting me in that group in the first place. So like, yeah, for me, I, I might have been a little bit gifted, but also I made sure I was the hardest working because that was one of the things like I, I still live by to this day, like effort is you know everyone can give effort like giving a hundred percent it's non-negotiable you should always willing to be to give your best doesn't matter how like good you are how gifted you are uh, you should always give your best and no matter what it is definitely obviously going back to football there you were a very talented footballer you were with was it the Welsh schoolboys you were with for a bit so yeah I played I played for uh, Welsh schoolboys and the 14, under 15, under 16, and under 19. I got a call up as well. So I was I was playing for them like in a lot of tournaments, like lucky getting to travel all over Europe as a young kid and uh, play with some great players at the time. So that was a, a good experience as well for me. Did you ever think that you were, would be progressing uh, further in that, as in that being your career? Yeah, like growing up, if you ask me when I was 17, 18, I always wanted to be a footballer. It was it was always always my dream. It was my first love. That was everything uh, I wanted to be growing up. I like sort of like got pushed into MMA and then uh, mixed martial arts started taking over as I got older. But uh, football was always my first love. Yeah. Um- in education as well, you did things like sports science and sports coaching. So obviously you've always been very sports orientated. Um, was that very much uh, looking to the future, thinking I want to be a sportsman and then obviously having the, the coaching in the background for later on? Yeah, 100%. Like I always think that even in school growing up, I realised very early that I would do well in the things I was passionate about. So if I added like an enjoyment for a certain subject, I would do better in it than if I didn't. Uh, So like growing up, I always think people are happier when they're pursuing something that they're passionate about. Because no matter what career you do or what job you do, there's always going to be highs, there's always going to be lows, there's always going to be good points, there's always going to be bad points. But if you're pursuing something you're passionate about, you like take the bad points on board and like understand them you know for me I wouldn't want to work in an office and there'd be good things about it and really bad things about it but I'd be a lot more disappointed and disheartened with the bad things about them than for example taking a loss in a mixed martial arts fight so like growing up like sport was my passion health was my passion nutrition coaching like I've been coaching now as well for 10 years so like I would always pick something I was passionate passionate act to follow and pursue in the future excellent that's a brilliant message to have you mentioned then kind of being forced into mma at what point did that sort of start to take precedence in your life so i was at shrewsbury i was playing there i was playing for wales and i was the captain at the time and the top goal scorer for the team and when they give out youth team contracts uh, you had to go and live in the college in Shrewsbury. All right. So, and they didn't want to take a risk on taking someone with cystic fibrosis. Wow. Uh, so I ended up getting released like right at the very end of the season because it, the, they just didn't want to take a risk. So I ended up going to Wrexham because they'd offered me a contract earlier in the year. 
but I'd said no because I was at Shrewsbury and I wanted to be loyal to them. But by the time I'd gone there, they were only offering part-time contracts. Right. So I went to Wrexham. I was there three days a week and I was in college the other two. Whereas there was me and another lad, Simon, who's one of my best friends now. He was the same as me. Three days a week, two days in college. And then, so obviously we weren't going to get as good of a look in as the people playing and training every day. So like, I was like on the bench, a lot of games, making the odd start and stuff. Uh, And then during this time, my uncle Julian, he started taking a mixed martial arts class. He'd like training it for 10 years with all the proceeds going assisted fibrosis. So I started going there because obviously I got cystic fibrosis and uh, my dad started going and I just started training there like one, two days a week, become three days a week. I'd be like, can we do more four days a week? I'd be like, oh, can I have like an amateur fight? Uh, and it just built on from there really and just snowballed from there. And obviously you've started to find out that you were very good at it. At what point did you have your first sort of professional fight? So I think my first... Uh, professional fight was in 2020 uh, no, 2012 I was 22 uh, I went 16-0 as an amateur which is a, a good record and yeah. then there was like nobody left for me to fight at amateur anymore uh, so the gym I was at had a conversation with Jason and he was like look you're ready to go pro now uh, and then just went pro and, and it, again just, just went from there again really yeah. Did, did it feel like a big step up, making that step up from amateur to pro fighting? Not really, because when you get to like high level amateur now, the guys are all ready to go pro. Right. And I was already training full time. Okay. Like I'd made sure. So when you get to like high level amateur and you're thinking about going pro, basically you're already at like a pro in most cases if you want a chance. Uh, so I just, a couple of the rule sets changed, but, you know, it, it become when it becomes your life already before that. And then when you go pro, you're, you're in a good, good situation to succeed in. Absolutely. And obviously you did very well in your pro career, but then sort of obviously one negative again, been discussed, but kind of want to put it in that chronological order. Um, 2017, um, you started getting sort of pain in your abdomen and stuff. Did you initially sort of ignore that and then was, st- was still while you were at a um, training camp for a fight just yeah, before I, you got diagnosed? Yeah, I didn't ignore it. I went, I went, uh, I drove home from sparring one day. I'd been boxing sparring. And my coach had took me to a boxing gym to go and get some boxing rounds in. And I remember driving home and I pulled over on the side of the road because I had pains in my stomach. And... Uh, my testicles. So I rung him up and I said, oh, did I take a low blow mm. uh, in that session? He was like, no, no, I don't think so. I can't remember unless you took one without us seeing. Yeah. Like, I'm in a bit of pain here. I was like, I'm struggling to drive home. And he was like, see how you are. Maybe go and get checked out. So I actually went to the gym because I was coaching. Mm. I went coaching. Like I just couldn't take my mind off it. I was like, oh, this is not right, this. So I ended up going to the hospital. Uh, and they just thought I had a water infection. Like they just, they didn't really look at me properly or give me any tests. Uh, they just sent me, sent me away with some antibiotics. I thought, oh, I'm not taking some antibiotics uh, coming up to a fight. I was like, you know, it's just a standard procedure that I'm not going to take anything, just going to take some antibiotics. So I said, I'll, you know, I'll give it some time and the pain would ease off, come back, ease off. And then I remember the week of the fight, 
the pain got worse. And I remember thinking, uh, oh, maybe it's stress because it was quite a big fight. It was a rematch against someone I'd lost to. Uh, there was like a lot of back and talk before it. it was on a big show. So I thought maybe it was just stress. So I ended up doing the fight, uh, come out the Avrenda fight, and then it was still there. So I was like, right, I'm going to get checked out again now. So I went went back, got checked out, and they put me in for like scans and everything, which which they probably should have done in the first place. Yeah. Uh, and then I ended up getting diagnosed with, with cancer, and then uh, that journey started from there, really. What was your sort of reaction to that? Because you've always been sort of very positive, very, you know, if there's with your cystic fibrosis, obviously this is something that I'm going to fight. Was that the same sort of mindset that you had when you first had that diagnosis? Yeah, I went through a few stages, but the first stage was like, nah, not me. Definitely not. Like, uh, I remember I went and paid for private scans. Okay. Like, Paid for two more just to try and get like a different diagnosis at first. Uh, I thought maybe they diagnosed me wrong. Uh, I'll go and I'll go and get another scan. So I went through that, and then after those second two, I was like, right, now it's time to to like put my gum shield in, bite down on it, and just fight it as best as possible. Uh, but yeah, I would say like the the first stage was like a bit of a bit of like in denial, like oh no, it can't. Like, like I've had cystic fibrosis, I can't be having cancer as well. I'm only 27. Uh, and then when when I come to realization that it was actually that, then it was just I was going to fight it as hard as possible and uh, do do my best to come out the other the other end as as uh, as healthy as possible and in the in the best case scenario, you know, be able to to carry on with life. Absolutely. And again, just, you know, added to the to one more thing to the list of things that you've kind of beaten, which is brilliant. Um, were you approached by cage warriors while you were still receiving treatment? Yeah, it's quite a cool story. I was in uh, the hospital at the time in Clatterbridge and I was having chemo and I used to have 20 hours on, four hours off. Wow. So it was like late at night, about 10 o'clock and everyone, like sometimes I'd have guests and stuff, but I was on my own and I wouldn't really go on my phone too much when when I was having the chemo because I was just, like, too tired or anything. But I remember I had, like, a message, and it come up, Ian Dean, who's the head cage virus matchmaker, and it just, like, come up as a notification. And it's like, oh, I wonder what that is. I'll, I'll open that. Uh, and I opened it, and he offered me a fight in uh, Cardiff at the time. They were doing a Welsh card. And I was like, oh, trust me to get this off of- I explained the situation to him and uh, all he replied was, sorry, mate, I didn't know this. There'll be a pair of yellow gloves waiting for you when you come out the other end. Uh, so he, he replied with that. And then I was like, right, that was like one, one of my goals and focuses on, you know, like I said, that bit of hope and having that bit of purpose, something that I could cling on to and use as motivation if times are tough just to get out the other end. You said that there wasn't too much of a step up from sort of top end amateur to moving into pro. Have you noticed the sort of difference since you've been with Cage Warriors? Because obviously it's uh, like the leading promotion in Europe, isn't it? Yeah, I was I was quite fortunate. I had quite tough fights all through my like pro pro career. Anyway, I think because I had a good amateur record and I fought on like a show called ACB, which is a big European organisation as well. Uh, but they're not 
obviously Cage Wars again, the leading organization in Europe. So I've been, you know, fighting the best guys in Europe since I've gone to there. So I know like no fight's going to be easy no matter who they give you uh, in there. So I'm, I'm training with the best people. I've always put my round, like always put myself in rounds with like tough people. So it's, it's something that uh, I would like to say I'm get I'm comfortable with. And I'm again, using, using it to develop by always pushing myself in training and getting those tough rounds in. So then when I go to a fight, it just feels normal. Yeah. Do you prepare differently then, depending on sort of who you're facing? Because obviously at Cage Warriors, you had, let me get his name right, uh, Samir Faideen. Obviously, he was former world champion. Do you go into it with sort of, you know, do you prepare any differently knowing that he's got that behind him or do you just treat it as another fight? I would, I normally prepare around me, but I I do switch up certain things that maybe... Like sparring rounds, I'll try and spar people who are similar to the opponent. Or like if there's areas which I think I can exploit in the fight, I might like drill them a bit more, spend like half an hour at the end of the training. Like, oh, if I'm going to get in this one position, I'm, I'm going to do this. Like, for example, my last fight, uh, I drilled a lot of taking the back and finishing with, with a rear naked choke. So like on my hand wrap, when they wrap my hands before the fight, I asked the girl doing it to write. A rear naked choke RNC on the hand wrap, and then that's how I finished the fight because I I seen something that he, when he when he looks to get back up he turns his back yeah. uh, so it was drilled and it ended up happening so mainly I would say the same I may maybe switch up about twenty percent just specific sparring rounds or like I'll work on positions I think I can uh, exploit a bit more yeah. Um, you spoke a little bit before and said that obviously you've always been very passionate about nutrition. What does your diet look like when you're preparing for a fight? Is it different to sort of the rest of the year or do you change certain things in prep? Just just the, the volume of food really maybe tones a little bit down on, on getting down to the weight. Uh, but I don't really cut much weight anyway. And uh, so I generally eat the same all year. Obviously, I'll have a few more treats out of camp if I'm going out for meals and stuff. But I mainly eat the same, making sure... Because your body's like a car. You need to put the right fuel in it to work properly. Uh, Even your brain, you need to fuel that properly. So I'll make sure that I'm eating healthy food, plenty of healthy food, so I can train better, perform better, and get get the best out of, of my body as possible. So... Um, I think nutrition plays a, a key part in that. Good going to your most recent fight um, against the awesomely named Gerardo Fanny. Um, <laughs> obviously, you, uh, you beat him, like you said, with that that rear naked choke. Um, what one thing that really struck me because like I've always been able to sort of see things of yours on like YouTube and various little clips, but that was one that I was able to watch live, and it was awesome just seeing like you know your opponent came out and he was very much sort of, you know, game face and come to the uh, come to the cage. And you just come out with, like, the biggest smile on your face uh, and we're just, like, high-fiving all the audience and stuff. Is that how you just tr- try to approach sort of everything that you do, really, just with that positivity? A little bit. I spoke about this a bit on social media this week, saying, like, back earlier in my career, you weren't used to walking out. Mm-hmm. I'm used to sparring, I'm used to fighting, but like walking out, I was like, and I just like try and like switch on and focus from the start, like dead serious walking already, like try and get in. The, but then I'd be dead now, I'd get in the cage and I'd be, all oh, right, I'm used to this, I do this like every day in the week in the gym. Uh, and then I remember being 
being in the back just before we're about to go out this fight and uh, my like corner team, they were saying to me, everything you've been through is for this moment, like co-main event, Cage Warriors Manchester, this isn't pressure. You've been through pressure. Been, I've been in that hospital room with you and the time you're going to die. Everything you've worked for is towards this. Go out and enjoy it. So I was like, I'm going to enjoy every second of this. So that's why I like going out. I made sure I had a smile on my face. I was like interacting, like obviously like you've seen high-fiving everyone on the way down. Because then as soon as I'm in there, I can switch on then anyway. You know, like I'm, you, you might not get those opportunities again. You might not get those days again. So I, I made sure I enjoyed it. And, you know, I've, I've enjoyed being enjoying the walkouts a lot more like anyway, because it was one of the things I wanted to change, like the probably past like seven or eight fights. But since I've come back from from being out for two years, I've made sure I enjoy every day and every moment better. And I think being like the co-main event with like two and a half thousand people there in Cage Warriors and uh, a lot of uh, fans there for me, I was made sure I enjoyed it and uh, appreciated it. And like I said, it'd be one of the things I never forget would be the walkout. Definitely, yeah. Uh, one thing that really struck me as well was uh, watching it on TV was the commentator referred to your fans as the home crowd, which I loved because obviously, you know, it, they were, there were so many and they were so loud that that's very much what it felt like. 100%. That was uh, one of the things they uh, pride themselves off as well. They said they were going to be the loudest in, uh, in the building and I think they won that one. <laughs> yeah, they very much did. It just feels like, I think, between you, because I've seen you with, uh, like, the uh, the Wrexham team came to see you, didn't they, just before? Um, and I think yeah. there's definitely something, it feels like there's something in the air with Wrexham and it felt like that uh, at your fight as well. It's just like the Welsh fans showing their passion. Yeah, 100%. I always think the Welsh fans have been passionate anyway. Like like when you even watch at the rugby and they're singing the national anthems and I think with the football and that, for like a, a, a small population, they're over always over-exceeding in their, in their expectations. But I definitely think like with what's going on in Wrexham at the moment, there's it's raised the energy vibrations around the place and I think everyone's... Uh, Definitely happier, more confident, especially after COVID and, you know, the whole world being in a downer. I think uh, we've come out a bit positive. And I think, like, that's one of the things about the community. They look after their own and uh, support them. So it was uh, definitely something I'm proud to be a part of. There's a um, feature we do called Questions from the Class. Every week, uh, I tell my children who I'm speaking with, and uh, obviously it's year six, so they're like 10 and 11, and they just come up with a few questions, and then I vet them, which I've found is very important, because one of the questions you were going to be asked this week is, do you like bread? And I was like, I think I think we can come up with something a bit better than that. So uh, I've got six questions, and we'll, we'll go yeah. into that and uh, see what you think. So first one is, do you always shake your uh, shake hands with your opponents before and after a fight? Yes, I do. I respect any man who gets in there with me. We're all we're all after uh, the same goal. Uh, in the end, one fight I'm, I didn't before the fight because uh, there was a bit of back and forth, and he said some things about cystic fibrosis. Wow! Uh, but after they did, and I know it's a fight, but it's a ultimately it's a competition it's like a game of football you're both trying to play your best to win and and that's how it is 
second one, is there anyone in particular that you'd like to fight? Have you got ideas for your next opponent? Uh, no, not really. I just like, like if you ask me that, I'll tell you uh, Demetrius Johnson, just because he's the best flyweight, in my opinion, to ever been around. Uh, like a, there's no one like, I don't want to fight anyone for personal reasons or anything like that. I just want to like challenge myself and, and see how far I can go. So that, that would be the only answer I would give, really. There's no one in particular. Fair enough. This one I liked. It did make me laugh again. I think this was a, a 10-year-old girl who's asked this one. Um, is it scary getting punched in the face? I think you're always scared of the unknown. But like for me, I get I get punched in the face every day. So uh, I'm, I'm not scared of it anymore. You are at the start because you're not used to it. Just like anything, you know, driving a car for the first time or... Or anything, but sometimes, like if you put yourself in uncomfortable situations, they eventually become comfortable and you end up growing. So I'm no longer scared of getting punched in the face, but I would have been earlier on in my career. This one was, uh, I think, there's a, a lad in my class, he's a footballer. And like when I said about fights, and I said you don't, they might do two or three in a year, depending on sort of, you know, how long a camp is or whatever. And he was like, oh, I thought it was like football where it was every week. So he wants to know why does it take so long between fights? A uh, really good point. And this is, I've been asked, what's the worst thing about fighting? And I always say, because it's not every week and I'm used to playing football. Like I'd have a bad game on a Saturday and I'd be in a mood, but it was only be till the Wednesday. I'd have another game on the Wednesday or the week after and I'd be able to try and put it right. And I just think you like it's so physically demanding the fight. You know, you're fortunate if you get out with any injuries or you do the whole training camp with any injuries. And it's not like in football, you, there's 20 teams in the league and you can play them. You know, you play them twice, so you have to have those games all the time. Then there might be 20 fighters, and the shows might have five five shows a year, so you have to get on that card with someone else who's ready at the at the same time. But no, I. I'd rather fight every week as well, like we play football back in the day. So it's a, it's a good point you make. But yeah, I think it's just because of all the preparation that goes in. And um, if you ended up probably fighting every week, you'd probably lose too many brain cells as well and end up too injured. Very good point. Um, you spoke about um, playing football. And obviously I was uh, telling my class how good you are at football. And uh, one lad who is a season ticket holder at uh, the race course has said, would you like to be playing for Wrexham now under the new owners? Oh, 100%. Like I, I always look at like when I go and watch Wrexham or, or uh, speak to him in the gym, or I've done a few talks in football clubs like Wrexham or you know, I've played with some good players and when I'm watching them on the TV, I sometimes think, what if? And like, I always think, oh, maybe they'll just give me 10 minutes one, one game at the end. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think it's an exciting time to be a to be a Wrexham fan. I definitely think something special is going to happen in the next, you know, five, six years. Probably going to be the pinnacle the club's going to get to. So it's a perfect time to be playing for them. Definitely. Are you going to Wembley? I am going to Wembley, yes. Excellent, there you go. You can take your boots to that, see if they let you play. I don't know if they let me play in the Wembley. <laughs> uh, maybe not. Um, the last one, uh, this is for a girl who um, does uh, mixed martial arts, goes to a class every week, um, and she is asking if she wants to pursue it as she gets older, what would your advice be? My advice, I think, is consistency is key. The, the good thing about mixed martial arts is that nobody really turns up straight away and is good. 
no one like turns up and is naturally gifted. You, the best guys on the mat when I coach are the ones who are there the most. And that's a secret is in hard work, consistency will get your results. So I think, and it's the same with anything. I think like if you turn up, you put the work in, you'll get the results. And I think that's what one of the things mixed martial arts teaches you, whether, you know, you just train mixed martial arts or you're working at something for your schoolwork, you put in the work, you'll get the results. And I think that would be my advice to you. Keep turning up, keep showing up. There'll be good days, there'll be bad days, there'll be good sessions, there'll be bad sessions. But if you keep at it, you'll get good. Absolutely. And obviously you've kind of proved that as well. So it's good that you sort of practice what you preach. You spoke about being a coach and obviously you've coached for 10 years as well. What sort of coach are you? What sort of values do you bring? I like my athletes to be dedicated. I don't care how good or bad they are, as long as they're committed. But I like to push my passion onto them, uh, making sure like I'm, I'm giving them energy in the sessions. And, and I also like the stuff I teach them about mixed martial arts to relate to life. So then life lessons, they can relate back to mixed martial arts. You know, for me, I've always wanted my most proudest students I've had of maybe it's because of what they've achieved outside of the sport, uh, not always inside. You know, I've had some, some great fighters in my time that I've worked with, but I've also had some people who have like started businesses or done done great things for charity. And that always means a lot to me as well. But I'm a, I'm a passionate coach. I, I work hard at coaching, so I like my athletes to, to do the same. And like I said, I don't care how, how good they are. As long as they're dedicated, I'm willing to help them and uh, work on them and, and make them better fighters, but also hopefully better people. Excellent. What does the future look like for you? What's your next sort of goal? Are you going after the belt in Cage Warriors? That's something I, I definitely want to do, but I would would like to go to the UFC. That's my that's my number one goal. So whether I have to win the win the belt to get there, or I can get there now uh, straight away off off that big win, because there was rumours that the guy I fought in the last fight, if he won, he was going to the UFC. Yeah. So obviously I beat him. That I would hopefully like to think that I would get that opportunity, but uh, I'm just waiting waiting to hear what's next. But if it's not the UFC, I'd like to go and win that Cage Warriors belt because it was something that I've uh, I thought about a lot of times, like in during recovery and everything. And then just just keep working, developing, being grateful with with uh, traveling the world, uh, competing, and spending it with great people, and then eventually finish off as a full time coach. Excellent. Well, that's obviously what you've been working with. You've got your coaching background, so you've obviously definitely got your foot in the door there. Is there anything outside of MMA that you're looking to achieve in the future? Making a positive difference. They'll do the talks in schools and, and uh, some of the charity talks and, and raising money. Uh, people keep asking me about writing a book, but uh, I think I would need someone to write it for me, but, but tell, tell my story that way and just keep making a positive influence. I think that's one of the one of the things I like to do because I know like times when I've had tough times, you just sometimes need a bit of hope or, or someone to help you. So if I, I can do that through my story and, and give people a bit of hope, that, that would be uh, 
a big positive for me and something that I definitely want to do in the future. And um, like I always say, that for me, principles of who I am are more important to what I'm doing. So as long as I'm uh, I'm keeping my principles, I could hopefully take them into any aspect and and hopefully do do well and make a positive difference. Definitely. Well, I, you've always done that throughout your career. You know, whatever you've done, you I, I've always sort of kept an eye on your career and stuff. And, you know, everything that you do, you do with a smile on your face or win, lose or draw. You're always taking stuff from it. You're always sort of doing charity stuff and that. So I definitely think you're you're doing that. So that's awesome. I think with that last message that you've put out there, that's a brilliant time to just thank you very much for your time. And just I think that pretty much sums you up there so that's awesome i just want to say as well when you asked me earlier about uh, teachers who make a positive difference and used to stick out to me i definitely think uh, you would be one of those teachers if i were the kid now doing things like this and uh, again just a bit different and you know in- interviewing people who have, who have done well and about life and everything it definitely be uh, classes i would want to be in so i just want to say uh, you're doing a good job as well mate oh cheers i appreciate that mate And there we have it, what a guy. A huge thank you to Aaron for speaking to me this week. It's truly extraordinary what he's been through and indeed what he's achieved. And on top of it all, he's just a humble and genuine lad. And not only for himself, he also speaks to schools, raises awareness and money for charities and is just such a good role model. Keep an eye out on future Cage Warriors and hopefully UFC cards. A big thank you to you two for listening, and if you enjoyed the episode, please consider following the podcast on the socials and liking and subscribing over on your chosen podcast provider. Thanks again, and I'll see you soon.